When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Talking City podcast, the Manchester City podcast from the Manchester Evening News. It's a week on since Manchester City completed the treble. Uh, a week yesterday they were getting drenched in the centre of Manchester at the treble parade. Uh, but we're still here to talk about everything that's gone on. Uh, we've heard from the chairman this week. The uh, the players have been on international duty and there's been plenty of transfer stories to talk about. My name's Joe Brain. Joining me to discuss all of that, uh, first of all, is Simon Bykovsky. Si, how are you doing? Yes, very well, very well. I might, I'm, I've not had um, any time to eat today, so I might disgrace myself <laughs> on our YouTube channel, but other than that, I'm okay. Fair enough, we've, we've seen worse, I'm sure. Tyrone Marshall, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm good. I uh, I have eaten, but if I see Cy tucking into a bacon sandwich halfway through this, then my, my stomach mm-hmm. is definitely going to be rumbling. Yeah, well, uh, if you see my coffee, that's uh, that's my contribution to the to the food and drink <laughs> chat chat today. Um, let's get started. We've uh, we've heard from the chairman this week. His annual uh, interview with with City Media. It's always good to hear from from the very top. Obviously, it's it's uh, an interview with City, but he's uh, he's been very honest. He's been very on on the front foot. Uh, Simon, can you sum up sort of the the mood that he had? Uh, what what what's he said? What's caught your eye? Um, positive and relaxed. Uh, I, d- I think it's probably the most relaxed he's been um, in all of these end of season addresses. Usually there is kind of some something that he wants to get off his chest. Um, whereas it was kind of notable this time that you know the the big elephant in the room, the um, the Premier League charges and and City's kind of frustration at those. Um, he kind of strayed away from picking a fight with the Premier League or anything like that. He just said, I'll I'll talk after all the legal stuff's done. Hinted that he had very strong views, but didn't actually air any of them. So, you know, it was um, the interview that you might expect um, a man whose club have just won the treble to, to give. It was um, very, you know, happy about what they've achieved and very forward-facing about um, the the achievements that they still want to to achieve I think you know it, it's kind of it's hard to look beyond Istanbul as kind of a crowning moment and you know the the completion of kind of many things that that were on the the list to do but I think the message from uh, the chairman's interview is that you know that, that they're not bored of winning they won't be going away anytime soon they want to to carry on and, and look ahead to the the next 15 15 years of of ownership so um you know they if they have anything to do with it and the, then the future will be will be blue again yeah i think that's that was the the overriding message wasn't it it wasn't just let's carry on winning for city it was academy women's team the rest of the city football group and and that just shows the the determination throughout the club um tyrone can we read anything into his answer on the premier league charges he has sort of given it a, a straight bat 
and said, I can't say anything, I'm annoyed. But then he did go on and say, it's a bit of a shame that people sort of judge mm. before they, they read the facts. And he, he listed a lot of facts of net spend he was talking about, that sort of thing. Do you, do you, do you, did you get that impression that there, there is a frustration of, of, of those charges overshadowing these, these achievements this season? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think he said he had very blunt views and, and very strong views on the charges. And you know, it's pretty obvious which way they're going to fall. So it, it will be interesting to hear what he, what those blunt views are when the time comes to talk. Um, but I, I think it's a good point he makes. And I think it's one a lot of City fans have made that the, the elephant in the room is the charges. Uh, but that shouldn't distract from what a phenomenal football team it, this is and what a phenomenal football team that's that's been built. And a lot of the charges relate to when you know when City didn't have the revenues they had now at the very sort of start of, of this era. And maybe that's contributed to getting to this position. But the fact is their their record in the transfer market now is absolutely phenomenal. Um, we're having this discussion just for Istanbul and I think you've probably got to go back to Benjamin Mendy for the last player they signed for any kind of decent fee who who didn't improve or have an impact on this team or was a failure and obviously that was partly injury related and then partly his own fault um, so generally their record when they spend decent money is is very good maybe Calvin Phillips will will, will fall into that bracket of, of not quite making the grade um, that's that's entirely possible but Pretty much the record is spot on that they sign they sign good players and Guardiola makes them great. His ability to improve players is phenomenal. His ability to, to, to come up with you know new ways of playing and move this team on constantly and what we've seen with John Stones this season is incredible. So whatever your views on the charges, and even for those opposition fans and, and, and people who who have, have an issue over the charges and will relate the treble to the charges, should be able to divorce themselves from it and say this is also a phenomenal team with probably the best manager there has ever been doing incredible things. And, you know, I think Caldeon's right that certainly everyone connected to City is going to be frustrated that they've maybe not had the respect they quite deserve for, for the treble. I think a lot of it has. You know, there has been a lot of commentary about how great this team are and, and things like that. But the the charges are always loitering there in the background. And, and while they're unresolved, they are they are going to. Um, you know, it's hard to... Um, to, to have an event like Istanbul and an end to the season like that <clears throat> without them being mentioned because at the moment they are part of the narrative. That's just how it is because they're unresolved. So you can understand why City want them resolved and want them quickly so that when they're having, you know, when they're winning the next treble that the, um, they aren't part of the narrative and, and they can maybe get the, the respect they deserve for that one. Well, he said in an interview, one of his previous annual interviews, that he won't let City be a distraction for other clubs bad investment and you, you make a good point there with the, the the number of signings that City have made there's been a lot of 50 60 million signings but apart from that you've got to then jump from 60 million to 100 million for Jack Grealish and I, I think about 60 million of that was offset by incomings that year as well so it's, it's one of them I, I, I agree with your point completely that they've yes they've spent money but they've spent it wisely and they've not been spending the 70 80 90 million transfer fees that that other clubs have and and they don't have the the trophies and and, and the success to show for it so um i think i think that was more telling than than his answer on the charges really that he, he was basically saying you know we we are unsensibly when it comes to, to to things like that and and one man in particular that that signifies that is erling harland and and say uh caldoon disclosed a, a chat that he had with with harland at the start and harland said 
I will win you the Champions League, Mr. Chairman. He's done exactly that. That, I mean, we can compare the the interview from one year to to this year. Haaland had just signed last year. And now he's gone and scored fifty two goals in in fifty three games. That mentality is just behind everything he's done, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I think it can come across as as arrogance um, if you sort of don't don't know him, but also players at that level need that bit of arrogance um, to to sort of keep them on tilt and, and on the edge and you know nobody thought he was going to score 52 goals um, but Haaland knew he was going to score goals and he knew he was going to score goals that were going to contribute towards City winning the league and City winning the Champions League and you know you think back to um, the, the one-all draw at Leipzig and you know City not in the best of form in that round of 16 Leipzig at home, no gimme, and oh wait, Haaland turns up and scores five. Uh, and then by Munich, um, obviously important goals there. Didn't score against Real, still played okay. Um, he was okay in the final. I mean, the team weren't weren't good at all. Um, so, you know, no one thought he'd score 52. No one thought he'd score one in his last eight, but he did enough to, uh, to win them, to, you know, be part of... The uh, the side that won them the Champions League and you can't deny the sort of X factor that he's he's added to the the team and the club this season. Yeah, I, th- I think Haaland's got them to the position to win the treble and then he's clearly run out of steam a little bit. I think mm. for Norway this week he he has to come off, which feels very uh, against his character that we, we've seen over the last year. Um, but he's he's got City on that that position, and then De Bruyne, Gundogan, Rodri have stepped up and and got them over the line. And I think that one in eight at the end of the season is just reflective of a very long season. And I'm sure he will come back, and and he won't want that to happen again next season. So I'm going to come back to you. We we heard a lot from from the chairman about kicking on, not making sure that this is a flash in the pan and going again, making sure that they defend these titles, that they've got the Club World Cup, the the Super Cup. They, they want to, to expand at uh, City Football Group level. That just shows the mentality at City. It just goes straight to the top, doesn't it? It's, they're not going to stay still on this on this achievement this season. No, it does. Um, I think the chairman himself has said before that kind of the... Um... The worst thing they could do after winning the league, they would be to complain, to be complacent, and you know it was kind of telling that even Guardiola sits down for his press conference in Istanbul after winning the Champions League, and 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 thanks um, his chairman and and the board for not sacking him for not winning the Champions League earlier, because you know he says like how many clubs have ruined themselves trying to trying to win this Champions League or not winning the Champions League. You know, um, I'm not saying they've ruined themselves by any effect, but you know Bayern. Uh, sacked Nagelsmann in March because they they wanted to win the treble and they were kind of one Dortmund choke away from winning winning nothing. So it, it's very easy um, to so, sort of forget that stability can be the best thing at a football club. And you know Guardiola said the challenge now is not to fall away, and he also said, knowing me, I don't think it will happen. And you know that the the board. Uh, know that while Guardiola is in charge, that he won't allow them to to fall away, and he will continue to push them forward. But he will also be pushed forward by, you know, the chairman and Chiki Bagiristan and Ferran Soriano. You know, that is a a close knit um, quad, shall we say, who um, have a really strong relationship, and and that allows the football club to keep 
keep pushing forward as um, aggressively as it does. Yeah, these things are always PR at the end of the day, aren't they? But to, to have the chairman speaking so sort of apparently, honestly and openly and, and confidently is is a very good PR move from, from City. And if you are a City fan, you, you, you're just going to be reassured that you, you, you're going to be t- uh, challenging for titles season after season, especially with Guardiola. And Guardiola this week did joke that he's uh, he wouldn't have won the Champions League if, if Lukaku could finish. But uh, that's that backs up the point that you make, Sai, because it is fine margins and, and you've just got to be there. The consistency is arguably more impressive than, than winning the titles. Uh, one sort of less shiny PR move, should we say a little bit, is the, uh, the treble celebrations, mainly because... Uh, a lot of the players very much enjoyed themselves, and we saw them on the stage at, uh, in Manchester. And um, I mean, I was there, and I couldn't really understand what they were saying about turkeys and and uh, all, all that sort of thing. Tyrone, should we be concerned that the players had such a good weekend? No, I don't think so. I mean, it would be, it'd be nice to be looped into their private jokes, so we could yeah. so we could get them. Um, but no, beyond that, I think I think it was good to see in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's quite refreshing the. You know, there's, excuse me, it doesn't really feel like there's a drinking culture in football these days. And obviously that's a good thing. I'm not suggesting we want to bring that back. But, you know, it's it's so sort of, you, you just don't really see it. Even when the celebrations, they tend to go on behind closed doors. You don't, you know, you don't get the impression that these, these things happen anymore. You don't see it in public, mostly because it ends up in, in criticism. So, you know, I thought it was quite nice and refreshing to see at the end of the day. They're just normal people like like us they're just a bit better at football than us um so why why should they be be any difference and, and when when you achieve something brilliant that that's what's going to happen and I thought even the conversations over the last few games in the treble about drink have been quite open to see you know there's so many players now who, who are teetotalers which is you know I'm not I'm not suggesting that's a, a bad thing I'm not suggesting we should all be alkies but and obviously when you when you're in the heart of a season teetotaling is probably helpful but even after winning the Premier League, there was a lot of chat about how players are going to celebrate and drinking and stuff like that. And, you know, it was quite nice to see in a way that elite athletes can have a drink and enjoy themselves and, and still manage to, to get up and, and perform and, and do the job. So, you know, I thought it was it was quite good. And we know there's there's a few in that City team that, that like a drink. Um, you know, one in, in particular, Jack Grealish <laughs> seems to enjoy himself. Um, Edison, you know, always seems to be at the, at the forefront of these things when it comes to the booze being passed around. Um, you know, I was in the mix zone in Istanbul when John Stones was walking out and a few of us were almost pleading with him for a chat and he had a can of Heineken in his hand and said that was his first drink in 11 months. So, <laughs> you know, he's obviously a teetotaler during the season and then was was going to enjoy it. So after 11 months without a drink, I'm guessing he was on the floor on on Sunday morning. Um, but no, I think, you know, it's it's good to see that you've got to enjoy these moments in your life and, and celebrate them. You know, the reality is a lot of us celebrate with, with drink. I tend to celebrate big big moments with drink i'm going to celebrate the end of this podcast by by cracking <laughs> one open at lunchtime so you know that's just that's just the way the way we are really and i thought it was i thought it was nice to see and i know there was you know a, a little bit of stick maybe but it's just colorful characters and i you know i think especially with Grealish, i think that's why, that's why we all love him really because he is you know he, he more than anyone he's just one of us isn't he he just happens to have an incredible talent but he's never lost that sort of rawness that down to earth um, nature, you see it in his interviews. You know, he's he's the one we all want to speak to because he's he's colourful and he speaks from the heart. And in an area when so many players are, you know, they're, they're media trained coming through academy, so every media training at 14, 15, 16, 
it feels like Grealish is a throwback in that he just says what he thinks, whether he's going to upset people, whether he probably shouldn't say it. He just doesn't care. And it's the same with his celebrations. And it just makes him, you know, a, a, a Jack the Lad, I guess. Um, you know, it's fitting he's called Jack because that's just that's just what he is. And I think it helps everyone relate to him because if, if we won the treble, I'm pretty sure that's that's how I'd celebrate as well. I, th- I think it was it was in Houston in the first pre-season game and Grealish had had a summer on the front pages where he was spending this amount on, on champagne in, in Las Vegas and all the papers were, were, you know, really focusing on that and someone asked him, you know, does it, like, how, how are you feeling? How was your summer? That sort of thing. Trying to get a, a, a line out of him and he just said, you were more bothered than, than I was. I was just having, I was on my holiday and having a drink and he, he just brushed it off and said it's, you know, it's not an issue. I think he said all, all season that he can go and have a drink and, and then play. And we've, we've seen him play for England this week as well. And uh, yeah, if, if that's his, if if he can do that, I've got even more respect for him as an athlete because if he can get Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> as uh, as uh, in the state that he was <coughs> on that stage and it seems like he, by his own admission, he didn't have any sleep um, and then he can go and play football very, very well. And, you know, fair play to him. And it's refreshing as well, I think, that it's been more of a positive conversation about it just saying oh yeah look at him like it, it's not being as critical as, as it could have been or it might have been mm. uh in the past um but yeah they've gone gone on international duty these players and a couple more games uh Grealish has played a little bit Calvin Phillips got a, a very very easy first goal for England in uh in their route of North Macedonia um Simon can we get a word for Rodri and Laporte who won the uh the Nations League with Spain Rodri's just racking up those those uh winners medals these days isn't he um, if you think I'm watching Spain in the Nations League final after the season, then <laughs> oh, I can't say I've watched it either. Not watched Spain, not watched England, not watched anything rubbish. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously <laughs> it's a good thing. I'm not sure the Nations League title is anywhere near as impressive as winning the FA Cup or the Premier League or the Champions League. Um, you know, it, yeah, he's had a good season. So, so have a lot of City players. Um, I'm not sure Rodri is going to be um, remembered for winning the Nations League at the end of the treble as uh, Julian Alvarez is going to be remembered for winning the World Cup as well as the treble, I would say. That's a, a, a decent answer considering that <laughs> you didn't watch those games. And <laughs> it's rubbish though, isn't it? it? <laughs> Who wants international football now? Like, yeah. And I'll, you know, watching... Watching England steamroller, you know, a pretty ineffective nation. No, no shots against them in two games, England. It's not learning much, are you? No, you're learning that you should be watching the cricket and nothing else. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Pointless international break, isn't it? Well, we do have the cricket to watch after this, so let's uh, let's speed up. Let's go to a break, <laughs> and we will uh, come back for just one more little review of the uh, of the season after this short break. Hello there, welcome back to the Talking City podcast, and I, I wanted to sort of finish this season with a, a sort of a review that we've not done in the last couple of weeks because we've been talking about the uh, the treble. It would be a very short conversation if we just say who is the player of the season, but um, I just thought we'd go go round and and ask for sort of standout moments, 
I'll, I'll throw a couple of uh, categories at you and see if you've got any uh, any thoughts. I'm guessing when I ask you who the player of the season is, it will be the same name. Does anyone have a suggestion other than Erling Haaland? Rodri? Yeah, I gave I gave Rodri and Haaland 10 out of 10 for their, mm-hmm. their seasons. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, Rodri's arguably been more consistent than Haaland, but Haaland's obviously had had more of an impact. I thought it was telling in the first half, well, the, the whole of the Champions League final, really. I know he scored the goal, but it was arguably Rodri's worst game of, of the season. And it's telling that when, you know, when Haaland has a bad day, City can get by. When Rodri has a bad day, the, the whole thing breaks down. Um, you know, that felt quite telling in the Champions League final that he is, I think he is arguably more important. Rodri playing well is arguably more important to City than Haaland playing well, which maybe edges him as player of the season. Although that you know that sounds harsh on a fifty-two goal striker. <laughs> I I I also agree. I, I I also think it's hard to to deny Haaland these these player of the season awards because he's done mm. stuff that that no other player ever has done. I think the only thing you'd say about Rodri is there have been very very good and influential defensive midfielders in the past. I mean for City as well. Just look at Fernandinho, but. Haaland has, has broken these records because no one has, has ever done it before to the, the extent that he's done. So I, I think Haaland would probably edge it, but uh, that yeah. the, the Rodri debate leads me on to the second best player of the season award because there have been a lot of standouts. Has, has anyone got a, a suggestion for, for who could rival uh, Haaland and, and Rodri? Um. I feel like City had different players who stepped up at different times and mm. I think a word should be said in favour of Riyad Mahrez because if Riyad Mahrez doesn't drag City kicking and screaming through January and February, um, City don't win the treble, probably probably don't win any trophy, um, apart from maybe the FA Cup because Mahrez was scoring left, right and centre in that. Um, you know, when City were really, really struggling and no one was informed, Mahrez and Grealish were the, the two that, that stepped up. And um, yeah, I mean, Mahrez kind of fell away a bit and lost his place in the team and Bernardo kind of was so important in those latter Champions League rounds. Um, and then, you know, harsh on Mahrez. um <clears throat> You couldn't argue with Bernardo playing the FA Cup final, but it's harsh on a guy that scored a hat trick in the semi to be to be left on the bench. Um, and yeah, season kind of fizzled out. But had he not been so good um, at the start of twenty twenty three, then then City season wouldn't have been what it what it was. Yeah, I mean to not even get on get on in either of those games felt pretty pretty harsh on him. I mean, you you, you know you you could probably throw stones and Diaz into those conversations but again like like Sai kind of hinted at you're probably looking at recency bias for that because they've been so good recently really when over a whole season you know I mean maybe you'd put Grealish as, as third just for I think he's been fairly consistent over the whole season but you know so that's right that different players have stood up at different times and in this this brilliant run to the treble since maybe early March Stones and, and Diaz have, have been excellent um so that you know, I think they'd definitely be in the the top five. Um, but over the whole season, I think maybe maybe I'd have Grealish at, at, as as third best. I think I'll throw Nathan Ake out there. I think he's he's stepped yes, in at left back. And, very good shout. Yeah, uh, yeah, was very very good. And even though he was out for about a month or so before the the finals, he he stepped back in and played the Champions League final at left back. And you know, a year ago he was talked about 
leaving the club and, and now he's, he's 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 won the treble and and he was he, he solved a problem basically when when Cancelo <clears> left <throat> and everyone we 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 were here yeah. and we were saying who's going to play left back and everyone was saying what's going to happen and then suddenly Nathan Ake is one of the best left backs in the league and and yeah. no one's no one's saying anything so I, I think that debate of the sort of the players underneath Haaland and Rodri is it just sums up why City have won this treble because they've got why so go many yeah. so many solid performers and consistent performers and uh, yeah like we've said they've different ones have stepped up at different times but uh, no it's a lot of a lot of players who if Haaland hadn't scored 52 goals and if Rodri mm. hadn't been so good and then scored in the Champions League final they would probably be in consideration for these these sort of uh, conversations I think um, go on Ed- Edison as well I think had a quietly underrated season um, you know arguably is is best I would say certainly in terms of debunking a few myths and, and shot stopping obviously vital in the Champions League final um, so I think he'd you know Probably not in the top five, but I think he's another who's had a, a quietly underrated season. And you're right about Ake. I mean, Ake fits in as well to kind of what Sai said. He was, you know, he was carrying that defence and, and arguably that team at times when City were really struggling in in January and early February. And I'd point and, to the Arsenal Rico Lewis again. Rico Lewis. <laughs> John Lewis. Stone yeah, doesn't happen without big. Rico Lewis. Well, I was yeah, going to ask you a young player of the season, so surely that's yeah, Rico Lewis, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Rico. Yeah, um, I mean, just in terms of like the numbers, like over a thousand minutes as a a guy who started the season at seventeen. I mean, we we all Foden have been spoken about for so long as this generational talent, and um, and so when he came through, it was kind of unexpected. But also, we kind of had been told it was going to happen. Rico's come from nowhere, and yeah, looks like he could be the next John Stones. Um, you know, you stick him anywhere on that pitch. He started off at right back, then left back, then ended up at. By February, he was playing number eight at Bournemouth, and it was like, <laughs> what is going on? Um, I've never seen someone take to Guardiola's kind of complex patterns of play so quickly. Um, yeah, you look at the first teamers that came in and struggled, and Enrico Lewis has just done it without sort of breaking a sweat. It's pretty incredible what he's done this season. I think that's the benefit of the academy playing exactly the same system because he's played that yeah. that role for 10 years and now he's come in and he just knows exactly what to do and speaking to the the coaches and players in the academy that they knew he was probably one of those who would have a having a, a shout of being in the first team but even they couldn't have sort of anticipated how how quickly he's done it and how how effectively he's done it and uh, it's yeah I think young player of the year has to has to be Lewis and it's it's refreshing as well we're talking about players of the season and we've not talked about Gundogan who scored all those goals at the end of the season we've not talked about De Bruyne mm. who scored against you know Real Madrid and has had a very good season himself at, at times he's when he's been good he's been as good as he's ever been and yeah players like that so again underlines just the strength and depth of of City squad although the chairman will insist and uh, have you have you uh, listened that they do not have a big squad um any any disappointments of the season? Any anyone who's you thought would be better than than they have been? I mean, Calvin Phillips is the obvious one, I guess, hasn't he? He's not not made any impact, and it's got a, if he does stay, he's got a big second season. I think he's the the obvious one from from that. Um, you know, you you dread to think, like I said before, about how important 
Rodri arguably the most important player in that team. You dread to think what would have happened if he'd missed even a month with with some kind of of injury. It, you know, it could have derailed an awful lot in City season. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, I don't think anyone was expecting Phillips to play as little as he as he did, and he kind of mm. you know, he, he clearly annoyed the coaching staff when he he came back from his kind of break after the World Cup, um, and you know. You spoke about kind of Grealish getting tabloid attention. You know, Grealish got a lot of attention for going to New York um, at Christmas after the World Cup, more because he was doing the Home Alone tour. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Phillips went went as well. And uh, Grealish came back and was one of City's best players. And, and Phillips came back and was out of the squad because he wasn't fit enough. So, you know, that that attitude has to, has to be better next year. Um I think kind of disappointing for Foden, really. Um, yeah. When you think back to like September and him scoring a hat trick against United in the derby, it looked like we were gonna finally gonna see the, you know, the the best of him. Um, and then he kind of lost his place to to Grealish and never really won it back. Uh, struggled with injuries, but also, you know, just couldn't couldn't oust Grealish from from that spot. So we didn't really see as much of him as um, as he would have liked. There was a period, wasn't there, where Foden was looking really good on the right-hand side and there was him and De Bruyne overlapping each other and yeah. taking turns in feeding, feeding Haaland and you're thinking, this could be a, a really good way of including yeah. him and Grealish in the team and then it just tailed off and I have been encouraged by Foden in midfield and in the last few weeks and I think he's looked more comfortable there. Another name I'd throw as a sort of disappointing season would be Cole Palmer. I thought he'd, he'd kick on and get a few more chances but even when he did play... He looked like he was trying a little bit too hard. Um, so to see him play a little bit better at the end of the season, albeit after the, the title was won, was, was another sort of positive. And, you know, whatever happens with Palmer, he, he probably will look at this season and think he, he could have done a, a little bit better. Um, let's think a bit more positive. Any any goals of the season? There have been some good ones, haven't there? Yes, I can tell you the best goal of the season that I didn't see, and that was um, <laughs> when a colleague, um, while Manchester City were at Southampton, asked me to try and plug in his his laptop. And uh, <laughs> when I looked up, Erling Haaland was wheeling away in celebration. Oh no! And, um, <laughs> yeah, it's quite quite a good goal that one, by all accounts. Just just not from my account. Uh, yeah, I mean the the. The one that has got to stick out for me for quality of the strike, but also just the timing and the moment is Gundogan in, in the cup final. For Shia, like, you know, I, I'm just not going to swear on this podcast, but for Shia, like, <laughs> holy, what's just happened? And like Simon, I mean, I wasn't even in there. I was in rural France watching that, but it was still one where it, you was just like, oh my God, what's just happened? You know, for, for the... It was a great goal as well, but for the sheer sort of drama and narrative and timing of it, it was a, a total jaw-dropper. Yeah, I don't, I don't think until Rodri scored that goal in the final, I don't think City fans will have had a better celebration where they can just jump up and just completely let themselves go because that was that that was a moment that to be there was just, it was just ridiculous. I don't think anyone in that stadium imagine, believed yeah. what had happened. <laughs> no, uh, what had just no. seen. Uh, Rodri against Bayern Munich, anyone? That was a... Very satisfying yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Left foot. Al- yeah. al- although was I kind of think De Bruyne's against Madrid was a better hit. Mm-hmm. Um, just when you watch that ball go, it was just like, oh my word. Um, and also, 
De Bruyne's against Arsenal, um, where he kind of almost like sandwiches it past Aaron Ramsdale from 30 yards. It's just like, it, I think it bends from outside the post to in and it, it just looks like so easy, but it, it's it's a strike that probably no one in the world other than Kevin De Bruyne and two or three other people could could play. Yeah, I think De Bruyne scored very good goals in both games against Arsenal, didn't he? The, 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 yeah. the lob and the, the sort of pass from 25 yards or whatever. Another De Bruyne one that has all, I've just remembered was was it Bournemouth at home where he just drops a shoulder, the defender just goes completely and he bends it with the outside of his boot into into the far yeah, corner. That, yeah, that, that goal that's, notable. That's perfect, isn't it? That like um, four Bournemouth defenders all backing away, running away mm-hmm. with him because Erling Haaland was, was forward and they're all so terrified that he got the ball that De Bruyne just allowed to run kind of half a pitch length. Yeah, we were right behind that and just the satisfaction of just seeing that just bend from the outside of the boot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It feels like there's not been many screamers, but a lot, a lot of like really high quality goals. Yeah, yeah. One that, I mean, this, is, this isn't a great goal, but it sticks in my memory just for the like, oh, he can do that as well, was um, Bernardo's header against Bayern when um, Haaland, I think Grealish won the ball. It was, you know, it was a good City press. Grealish won the ball, played it into Haaland. You're thinking Haaland's going to shoot, and he just kind of dinked that perfect little cross to the back post for Bernardo to head in. And you know the the way it came about through the pressing, and then Haaland just taking the you know the right option to to lay it on a plate, really, but lay it on a plate plate with a, a technically perfect cross. You know, it was quite a you know it's not it's not one that you'd put on a ten best goals of the season highlights reel, but for kind of what happened and the way it came about, it was like oh. That's interesting. He can he can do that as well, right? Okay, <laughs> there might be might be unstoppable here. Yeah, the the um, there was one. I think one of my games of the season was um, Palace at home, just because they looked absolutely dead and buried at two 0 <laughs> and then Haaland starts, and you're like, oh oh my god, he he's single handedly yeah. just winning them games like like Sergio Aguero used to do, but more aggressively. And there's there's a number of these through the season where he just like bounces off players. Like they're not even there, but again, from our view in the press box, I think it was Gundogan passed him the ball, and he's maybe thirty yards from goal, and he's just holding off uh, Anderson, and he just holds him off and holds him off and holds him off, and we can just see from thirty yards out, he's nowhere near goal, but we know it's a goal before, you know, he's he's got close to the box because he, he's just so in control of of everything he does. I think the Brighton one where he barges was it was it Webster out of the way. Yeah, sends yeah. him to the corner yeah. flag and, and and scores that one. That was that was another another satisfying <laughs> one. Um, you you mentioned their best best game of the season. I'd, I'd not thought of the Palace one, but that was a that was a moment, wasn't it, where you realise that City can come back and and do this, and and Haaland is going to be a, a really big threat. Yeah, um, yeah, that was that was good in the league. The the two Arsenal games in the league were were really really high quality and kind of showed at what point City were at that stage of the season. Um, you know, and people were kind of expecting for that game at the Etihad how City will come out and dominate, but no one saw kind of exactly how how dominant they would be. Um, I really enjoyed um, Real Madrid away and Bayern Munich away. I think they were both games that City would have lost last season or any other season uh, because the the home team on both occasions were phenomenal 
Um, but City rose to it and and got a a creditable draw that helped them through to the final. Yeah, I mean, there's been you know there's been so many this season. Yeah, I mean, you think most of them it seems in this run, but you think back just for sheer, you know, again, what is going on here? The 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 six three against United, which really, you know, it, it arguably loses points for finishing six three. It should never have finished six three. You know, they should have won that more comfortably. But for the narrative as well of Foden getting the hat trick, Haaland getting the hat trick. You know, both of them, the local lad against United, Haaland Sergio against Gomez United. getting an assist. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that ticked a lot of boxes. The, the Tottenham game at home, just for the sheer drama of it all and, and what happened afterwards is, you know, is is memorable. Um, Liverpool at home when they went behind and, and just even when they went behind, I, I know it was a, a shaky Liverpool at that point, but there's so much sort of narrative to that fixture. Um and then you know it's it's I guess it's hard to look beyond if you were p- picking a performance of the season you can't look beyond Real Madrid really I mean that was you know that that forty five minutes that first half that first forty five minutes is you know hang it in the Louvre territory for for this team it's um, you know it's there it's there it was their piece de resistance so far wasn't it that forty five minutes so it's hard to hard to look beyond that I guess I was going to mention that Liverpool one because it it came in a, a run of a lot of good results but. Yes, Liverpool weren't mm. the side that they have been recently, but that felt like a bit of a statement of, we're, you know, we're, we're going to yeah. win and we're going to win by a lot of goals. And, and they did that to a lot of big teams, didn't they? And I'd, I'd also throw out the, the Arsenal winning the FA Cup. It probably didn't feel like it at the time, but that f- probably was a lot more significant by showing Arsenal that City can mm. beat them and, and come on. And, and I think that was the, the roots of the, the comeback in, in the Premier League. So, um been a pretty good season overall, hasn't it? So uh, we will we'll <laughs> take bad, not bad. <laughs> we'll take one final break and then we'll come back and discuss uh, next season and the summer. Hello there, welcome to part three of the Talking City podcast. Uh, we've uh, we've done and dusted with. Uh, 2022-23 and now we can look forward to uh, to the new season and we've already got the fixture list uh, for uh, for the new season yes City had to play every team twice uh, Tyrone has anything come up that that might be a banana skin for City at any time well I was gonna I was gonna steal my inspiration for this by looking at size 47 tweet thread about the fixtures but uh but it seems he, he paused at one and got uh Got fed up with the analysis. Well, you, you'll so, notice I came to um, you and not Sai for, for that question. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. I I'd mean, the only talk good about thing about city fixtures and internationals. Fair. Yeah, the <laughs> only good thing about the fixtures and the fixture release day for us is at least it gives us something to write about in June when when True. nothing else is is happening. It's a free it's a free hit to kind of dredge up some some kind of opinion about it. I mean, the you know when you look at it, the obvious one is is easy start. Um, going into a very difficult spell, but again, I, you know that's, that's kind of obvious when you have the first um, run of this is like eight games for City, eight nine games that are all really really winnable. Um, it's inevitable then that you are going to go into a a difficult spell, but you know you look at that and it's it's interesting way because City don't you know, they don't always come out the blocks on fire, and obviously it was a bit of a slow burn this season but if they do start quick they could easily win their first you know what, what we're looking at I mean Burnley Newcastle Sheffield United Fulham West Ham Forest Wolves seven games 
really they should be winning all of them. They could have 21 points after seven games and then for the rest of the league it's playing catch-up already. So I think the start is the start is an opportunity but also maybe something of, of a risk. If they drop points in a couple of those games, they then go into a much a much harder run where it, it could get more difficult and might give the chasing pack some kind of belief or, or confidence. But then that happened this season with, with Arsenal and, and City just burn them off at the end of the season. So... So, you know, difficult to say, but I do think the the start they've got is, you know, to have those first seven fixtures first up, you, you, I mean, you, you could ease your way into that season and still win all seven of them. So it does feel like that's a real opportunity to just send a statement out at the start of the season to say, you know, we're coming, we're coming again um, and almost just sap the belief and the hope of the rest of the league by, by October. And I think that'll be key because once you get into it, uh, I was I was sort of putting all of the the round dates of the Champions League, FA Cup, and Carabao Cup. If you if you give every week weekend and weekday a slot or midweek a slot, then if City get to all of these finals, they'll only have one free midweek all season because they've got the Club World Cup to play bang in the middle of December, mm-hmm. which will throw a, a crisis in the Carabao Cup because there won't be enough time to play a quarter final, and uh, there'll be a lot of postponements, especially in in the new year and one potential postponement could be Tottenham away for the FA Cup semi-final and that would have to be played in the final week. Guardiola's made it fairly clear he doesn't like playing Tottenham away, they've not scored there. Could that be a significant say? Yes and no at the same time. It's um, I, I just basically yeah, your point about the other competitions is is, is what is key um, I actually think it might work in City's favour not playing Brentford at home on the 23rd of December because they normally mm-hmm. kind of have one game at home in December where they just think yeah we're not we're not turning up today lads and um, and that was well it was Brentford last year and Fulham but um, uh, yeah it has been in the past but I think at the minute what's important is that City kind of have that aura back where everyone expects them to win every game so if they can start well, everyone will be kind of a bit deflated. And if they do not start well, then that will kind of perk everyone up again. But it, it's how City respond to those Champions League games. It's how they respond to being away. If, when they're away at the Club World Cup, can anyone take advantage? Um, it'll be those kind of things that kind of sway the the momentum of the league. And it's going to be interesting to see how City set up. Because, you know, like Guardiola says, you can't be perfect for 12 months a year um, City have previously kind of been better like November to March but this year it was uh, you know more late Feb to to May so um, that obviously helped them for the Champions League will they do that again even though there's no Winter World Cup um, be quite interesting to see how City approach the season with their kind of conditioning and what they might have to do is get a little bit of a bigger squad. We've heard a lot about outgoings in the early weeks of the of the transfer window. We've heard Bernardo repeatedly refuse to decide or, or say if he's made a decision. Ilkay Gundogan has technically been released as a city weight on uh, on a new contract for him. You know, Guardiola and, and Caldoun have said they want him to stay, but ultimately it is up to him. There was quotes today from Guardiola on, on Jao Cancelo, who doesn't seem to be wanted by Bayern Munich, but also doesn't seem to be wanted by uh, City either. So uh, it's going to be a bit of a rebuild, is it, Si? Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. There's going to be significant activity, and we're going to see a, a few fe- first teamers leave. I don't think it's going to be as big a rebuild as maybe it could be. Um, basically, I think you know every club in the world would want to sign Man City players, and every Man City player after winning the treble, especially if you've not played a massive part of that, is entitled to think. Um, have I, you know, achieved everything I can at this club? Will I top that? Um, you know, we're still waiting on Ilkay Gundogan, who's got 10 days left on his contract and is still kind of mulling up where he wants to be. Um, Kyle Walker obviously had talks with Bayern Munich, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he will he will go there. He could go there, but, the you know, it is also tempting for him to to stay and win more at City. Uh, Riyad Mahrez, again, he's in the news for maybe leaving, but will he leave? Maybe not. Um, So, yeah, we're at that stage of the summer where kind of a lot of players could leave. I think it's probably going to be similar to last year in three or four first-teamers going. Uh, You would expect Bernardo to leave this summer. You would expect... Laporte to leave, um, Gundogan's probably 50-50 at this point, and then, yeah, it could be any one of Walker, Mares, Phillips, um, but it would be a surprise if it was kind of all of them. Oh. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting summer, but I still think kind of the core of the the squad will be, will be there next season. We're still going to be talking about, you know, five... Five centre backs with, um, with Guardiola and the you know Rodri and De Bruyne and Haaland and Foden and Grealish, um, so there's still going to be plenty of familiar faces. And in terms of incomings, is there anyone Tyrone that you can you can see? You've written that there's been an interest in in Declan Rice, although it seems like he might be on his way to to Arsenal now. Yeah, it certainly seems that Arsenal are, are, are favourites. I think City are um, you know, weighing up their options there, whereas Arsenal are, are making bids. So I think Arsenal have, have a head start. I mean, the issue for City, I guess, is is do they need Declan Rice? I mean, if Bernardo and Gundogan both stay, they probably don't. If Bernardo and Gundogan both go, then you know that's clearly City's biggest problem this summer in in strengthening midfield and, and finding more midfielders at that point. If they both go... Suddenly you think, crikey, we need Declan Rice, and you know he might be already holding the Arsenal shirt aloft at the Emirates. So um, that that's a tricky one for them. Um, you know, beyond that, I, 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 you know, I think midfield is clearly is clearly the issue. I could certainly see Mares going. You know, I think he's. You know, if I was Mares, I'd be very annoyed at the way the season the season ended. I think, and you know, he's of an age where he might consider Saudi Arabia as being worth worth a look now I mean the interesting thing with with Bernardo you know I think I think we know he wants to go because he's wanted to go for about three years now but it's it's where does he go and obviously his dream is Barcelona I, just, I don't see how Barcelona can afford him PSG are an option is, is, well yeah <laughs> I mean is there an attraction to 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 go into PSG I mean it's absolutely soulless you just you win a you know a pointless league title. The weather's not much better than Manchester. 
And then beyond that, I mean, Bernardo surely is not going to go to Saudi Arabia. I mean, I know he wants to leave Manchester, but come on, be that would be an absolute travesty if he took that route. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see whether he just reaches a point where he thinks, ah, you know, I, I want out and PSG is something different. I'll do that for maybe two years and, and see if he can finally gradually work his way south and, and get to Barcelona, you know, maybe go to... Marseille after that and just keep edging, inching closer and closer till he ends up in, in Barcelona so you know, midfield is <laughs> midfield is the big you know the big issue I think and you can see why Rice might be someone they're looking at because if they lose Bernardo and Gundogan then he's he's probably a good replacement and he's you know he's different to Rodri I think we've seen that Rice can play as a kind of number eight in a box to Me frozen all. I think that was Ty. I think that was me. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I'm back now. I don't know how much of that you caught, but basically, you can see why they'd like Rice because he's quite good. <laughs> well, on that note, now our now our connections are uh, failing us. We will uh, we will leave it there. Um, if you want to find out all the latest news on the uh, City transfer front and and everything else, you know where we are: the Manchester Evening News. Click on Man City. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on YouTube, and we are also on TikTok. We have uh, ten thousand followers now on TikTok. So uh, give us a follow on there and see what we're up to. And um, I can't say I've seen it myself, but uh, I can add I can add another one if have you not seen Ty to. dancing on there? <laughs> well, if that's uh... <laughs> I thought that was private. Was that not? <laughs> oh. That's why we've got 10,000 followers. <laughs> what goes on in those Istanbul nightclubs? <laughs> and if that doesn't tempt you to, to sign up to City on TikTok, <laughs> on TikTok nothing will. Uh, so we'll be back next week to, uh, to talk about the latest goings on. Uh, thank you for joining us and follow us on TikTok. <laughs>